you've got your Bibles this morning, and I hope that you do. If you don't, we have some in the lobby that would be a gift to you if you don't have a Bible at home. But if you do have your Bibles, please turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the very end of that book. Matthew's Gospel is the first book in the New Testament. This morning we're going to read the final chapter of Matthew's Gospel, the entire chapter. But we need to catch ourselves up to speed on what has been happening in this book and in Jesus' life. Jesus, the Son of the living God, had come to earth. He had, ex- he had existed in eternity past with the Father, active in the creation of all things. But as God looked down and he saw what man had done and how he had rebelled against him, sinned against him, and how he was, because of that, hopelessly separated, he determined to make a way to reconcile sinful man to himself. And so he turned to his son, Jesus, and sent him to earth to be born of a woman. Jesus was born as a, as a child, but he existed in eternity past. And he lived for 33 years on the face of the earth as a man, but he lived differently than us. He lived perfectly. He never sinned. He lived the perfectly righteous life that you and I have tried to live, but never could. With no mixture of sin, Jesus lived his life. And then he began his ministry. Only three years of ministry. Imagine that. Only three years of of public ministry began a movement that turned the world upside down. And during this ministry, he taught and he preached about his kingdom, his kingdom that was not yet fully consummated, his kingdom to come. He healed many. He performed many miracles, proving that he was the son of God. But neither of those things is what he most came to do. He didn't come primarily to teach and preach. He didn't come primarily to perform miracles. He came to do what he said, and that was to seek and to save the lost, us. And the means by which he would save us was through his death on a Roman cross. On Friday night in this very room, we commemorated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and the treatment that Jesus received and was subjected to on our behalf. He was betrayed by one of his own. He was betrayed by one of his disciples. He was arrested by a mob who came at him with swords and clubs. They had taken him off to meet with the high priest, and there people lied about him and bore false witness about him. And having admitting that that he was, in fact, the Son of Man, they charged him with blasphemy and spit in his face and struck him on his face. And then they led him away to the Roman governor of that region, Pontius Pilate. And Pontius, having found nothing wrong with him, sent him away to be crucified anyway. Because of the crowd's demands, Pilate released a known criminal, Barabbas, instead of releasing Jesus. 
and sent Jesus away to be flogged and scourged by his soldiers. And the soldiers took Jesus and they stripped him and they put a crown of thorns on his head and they put a fake reed symbolizing a scepter in his hand and they mocked him, hail the king of the Jews. And they spit on him and they struck him and they took the reed from him and beat him and they scourged him and flogged him. And then they placed a wooden cross on his back and led him through the streets of Jerusalem as he carried that cross to Calvary. And when they reached the place of the skull outside of Jerusalem, they nailed Jesus to that cross and they killed Jesus. Jesus had died. They took his body and they laid his body in a tomb. They rolled a stone in front of the tomb and they set a Roman centurion guard post in front of the tomb. That was Friday. That was Friday. But this is Sunday. And on Sunday, we pick up the story in the first verse of Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read beginning of verse 1 through the end of the chapter. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. When they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people... His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Would you pray with me? What a privilege it is to worship you, Father. Father. 
knowing what you did and sending your son from that perfect place of comfort next to you, that throne by your side. And you sent him to earth to be treated as we just read about. To send him to a cross so that you might reconcile back to yourself your children, those who had turned against you, we who had rebelled against you. Father, we know that that work was accomplished on the cross because the tomb is empty. So Father, we, we thank you for this book that we hold in our hands that tells us this glorious news, this truth. But I pray, Father, that you would be with us this morning as we seek to unpack that and seek to understand the implications of that truth for our life today. I pray that you change us because of the resurrection. We pray this in faith in Jesus' name. Amen. The woman, women who were closest to Jesus came to the tomb that morning of the third day, and they came with their spices to anoint Jesus' body, a means of showing respect and honor to Jesus. And what did they expect? Well, they expected to find Jesus in the tomb. They expected to find the stone still in front of the tomb. They expected to find the Roman centurion post still standing guard in front of the tomb. But what did they find? They found The guards neutralized, the stone rolled away, and the tomb empty. And what did the angel say to the women? He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. And Jesus had said that. Jesus had predicted that many times. In Matthew's gospel alone, we find it recorded three different times that Jesus predicted what would happen when they got to Jerusalem finally. The most recent was in chapter 20, verses 18 and 19. Listen to what Jesus said then. Jesus said, see, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. This is before he entered into Jerusalem, and that's exactly what had happened. Everything happened just as Jesus had promised that it would. Now, if you're new with us this morning, I want to tell you three things. First of all, I want to tell you that we're glad that you're here. We're really glad that you're here to worship the risen Christ with us. Secondly, we want to remind you that we're going to be here next Sunday as well, and the Sunday after, and the Sunday after, and the Sunday after. But most importantly, what we want you to know is that we really believe this. We, we really believe this stuff. This is not a day of empty religious celebration. This is a day in which we celebrate that which we are convinced really did happen. That Jesus is the Son of God and that he was put to death on a Roman cross and laid in a borrowed tomb and that three days later he came back to life, defeating sin and death forever for those who would trust in him alone. We really do believe this. This is not a myth. This is not an April Fool's joke this morning. We believe that this really did happen. 
And we would love to have more time with you to share with you why we, were, why we are convinced that this is the most logical conclusion of what happened. We find it utterly unconvincing that Jesus passed out and that he was really just alive after having been beaten by a cat of nine tails within an inch of his life, that he somehow was revived in the tomb and had enough energy to roll away the stone and overcome the guards. We find that utterly unconvincing. We also find it utterly unconvincing that, that what the chief priests bribed the soldiers to tell, that the disciples stole his body away, we find that utterly con- unconvincing because these disciples, almost all of them ultimately went on to be martyred and and put to death because of their proclamation that they had seen the risen Christ, that Jesus did in fact rise from the dead. Many people will die for a lie, but who is going to die for that which they know is a lie? That's utterly unconvincing to us. No, what is most convincing to us is that this means exactly what it says, that Jesus bodily rose from the dead and that that tomb is empty and that he is alive and seated at the right hand of the throne of God today, interceding for his children. We do really do believe this. And the most convincing proof to us, perhaps, the most convincing proof to us who love, serve, and and have been saved by Jesus, the most convincing proof to us that the tomb is still empty is that we've met him. We've met him. We, we worship and serve and love a risen Christ. This is something we believe is true. This is the good news of the gospel. But why is it such good news? Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ the single greatest event in the history of the universe, which it is? Why why is it good news? And perhaps more particularly to you, how can it be good news for you? How, How can it be good news specifically and particularly for you? Not just us corporately, but for you and I as individuals. Four reasons four reasons that I want to unpack this morning about why the resurrection is such good news. The first reason is because the resurrection, if it's true, it means that the bad news has been dealt with. The bad news has been remedied. If there's bad news, and there is, then the good news can only be good if it deals with it, right? The fact that Jesus died on a cross and rose three days later, if it doesn't somehow deal with the bad news, then it's just news. But there is bad news. I want to demonstrate this bad news by looking at a passage from the book of Romans. Keep your finger here at at Matthew 28 and turn over to the right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. At New Branch, we're walking through a study of Romans on Sunday morning. We're going to pick back up, and the passage that we just read out of Romans chapter 8 is where we are in that study. We're going to be looking at those closing verses of chapter 8, and it's a fascinating study, and I hope that you'll join us for that. But I want to look this morning at a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21. Now, that passage begins with the word but. The word but is a, is a connecting word and a contrasting word. Paul's about to give us the good news. 
and he's contrasting that with the bad news that he's already articulated. And he did that in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and the first half of chapter 3. And the summary of that part of, of Romans is this. We're all sinners, first of all. We've all disobeyed our God. We've all rebelled against our God in thought, word, and deed. We have left things undone that we should have done. We have disobeyed the one who made us for his own glory. We are sinners. Secondly, because of that, we're separated from him. We're separated from him because we have no righteousness of our own to make us justified to be in his presence. So we're sinners, we're separated, but, but perhaps worst of all, we're hopeless in that condition. We can't change anything about the fact that we're sinners and we're separated. No amount of good doing, no amount of of trying to fight against sin, no amount of church attendance, no amount of doing good works is going to make any difference in the fact that we are sinners and we're separated. So we're sinners, we're separated, and we're hopeless. That's the bad news that he covers in chapters 1, 2, and the first half of chapter 3. But then in the middle of chapter 3, he says, but, but. Look, beginning in verse 21 through 25, he says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. In the previous verses, Paul had just got finished saying that you can't earn any righteousness by the law. You, you, you cannot follow the law enough to the point where you will earn righteousness. You can't justify yourself by following the law. But now he says, but the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. What is this righteousness that he speaks of? Verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Of God. There's the bad news again. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Verse 24. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So, so, so Paul further articulates the bad news, and then he gives us the good news. The bad news is, first of all, we have no righteousness of our own. And so we can't be justified here or in the next life. We have no righteousness of our own. Secondly, we're captive to sin and death. We are held captive, prisoner, to sin and to death. The grave will be our end because of sin. And then thirdly, we stand under the righteous wrath of God. That's the bad news. We have no righteousness of our own. We're captive, prisoners to sin and death, and we As those who are sinners, separated from God, we stand under the righteous wrath, the righteous anger of God against sin. That is the bad news. The bad news, folks, is not that you lost your job. The bad news is not that your life is not going the way that you had hoped it would go. The bad news is not even that you have cancer. The bad news is not even that you were in an accident or whatever it is. The bad news is that you have no righteousness of your own to make you justified before a holy God. The bad news is that you and I are captive to sin and death apart from Christ and that we stand under the righteous wrath of a holy God against whom we have rebelled. That is very bad news. And Paul says, 
but there is a righteousness that has been revealed. And Paul presents the risen Christ, the resurrected Christ, as the good news that remedies the bad news. So, if the bad news is that we have no righteousness of our own, Paul says now that we are justified by faith in Christ. The word justified means that now we have a righteousness. So that for those who place their faith in Christ alone to be forgiven of our sins, what are they given? They are given the righteousness of Jesus, credited to their account as if Jesus' perfect life that he lived, perfectly obeying the law, is now theirs. So that when God looks at us who have placed our faith in Christ, he doesn't see our measly attempts at righteousness that fall so short of righteousness. Instead, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus. And he says, justified, justified by faith. The good news addresses the bad news. In response to the bad news that we are held captive to sin and death, the good news is in verse 24. We have redemption in Christ Jesus. Because of faith in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed from sin and death. We are released from its captivity. In Christ, we are forgiven of our sins and released from the captivity of sin and death, released from its grip forever. Literally, we are prisoners who have been set free in Christ. But if Christ is still in the grave, well, then we still have no righteousness of our own, and we cannot be justified before him. And we are still held captive to sin and death. We are still in that prison, hopeless in that prison. Thirdly, if the bad news is that we stand under the righteous wrath of God, then the good news is that because of the cross and because of the resurrection, Jesus satisfied God's wrath against our sin. That's what, the, what that word propitiation means. It, it means that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied God's anger against our sin. It was satisfied it was not satisfied with our good works. It was not satisfied with our church attendance. It was not satisfied with our tithes and offerings. It wasn't satisfied with our attempts to try to fight against sin. No, it was satisfied by Jesus' death in our place. Now, how do we know that God's anger was satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross? How, how do we know that, that he is our propitiation, that, that God's wrath was satisfied in that act on Calvary? We know because that cross is bare, the tomb is empty, and the throne is occupied. We know that God was satisfied with Jesus' death to satisfy his anger against sin because of the resurrection. That's how we know. You see, the payment was made on Friday. Full payment, not partial payment. This was not a down payment that we have to continue to pay and make payments against. This was not a layaway program. Payment in full was made on Friday night. Friday night. Nothing else needed to be paid. Nothing else needed to be done to set prisoners free. 
Nothing else needed to be done to redeem lost sinners like us. All of it was paid on Friday night. But on Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead means that God had accepted that payment as payment in full for us. He had accepted that payment. The payment was made on Friday night, and the resurrection means that God accepted his payment as sufficient to cover over the sins of all those who would trust in Christ alone. Nothing else needs to be done. This is not a layaway program where you have to continue to try to serve God and love God in hopes that that, that, that will pay that in full, that, that Jesus did a lot, but he didn't do quite enough. That payment in full was made on Friday night, and the empty tomb proves that God had accepted that payment for all those who would trust in Christ alone. So the question for you is have you trusted in Christ alone? Have you trusted in Christ alone? Not just in part. Have you placed 100% of your faith in Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and risen as full and sufficient payment for your sins, as your only hope to be rescued from what you deserve. Not as a down payment that now you gotta you know, keep making payments, keep trying to be good in hopes that maybe you'll be good enough. If you haven't placed 100% of your faith in Christ alone, then the bad news is still bad news for you. You're still, you still don't have any righteousness of your own. You're still held captive to both sin and death. And you still stand under the righteous wrath of God. If that's true of you this morning, then I beg of you, trust in Christ alone. Stop trying to help him Stop trying to make those little payments in hopes that that would be enough. We love, honor, and serve and obey Jesus because of who he is and because of what he has done, because we're overwhelmed by the grace that he's extended to us, not to try to earn some favor or appease his wrath. No, trust in Christ alone as your only hope so that this good news can be good news for you. Resurrection is good news because it deals with the bad news. Secondly, it's good news because it means that our faith in Jesus is not useless. It's not in vain. Consider these familiar words from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? That's what some of them have been saying in Corinth that they weren't believing that there was such a thing as resurrection from the dead. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, Paul says, then not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And listen to the implications of that that he fleshes out. He says, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. What I do up here is, is useless, is pointless, it's meaningless. It's vanity. And he also says, not just our preaching is in vain, but your faith is in vain. 
He goes on to say, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. They're gone. They're still in the tomb. And then he concludes the thought with this. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I've heard people say in some settings that, you know, even if the stuff wasn't true, even if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, I would still live the Christian life because it's so filled with joy. It is the best kind of life to live. And I would respond in the Greek, baloney. <laughs> Jesus said, if you want to follow me, if you want to live the Christian life, pick up your cross and follow me. And the cross was not a symbol in his day of religion. It was a symbol of execution. Jesus was saying, pick up your symbol of execution. Pick up your, your electric chair. Pick up your guillotine. Pick up your, your symbol of lethal injection and follow me. Because I'm going to ask you to die to yourself every day. Every day. And if Jesus is still in the tomb, I don't want to carry somebody else's cross. I want to live my way. I want to do my thing. But the tomb is empty, and, and Jesus is not still in the grave. If Jesus is still in the grave, then our faith in him as Savior, our faith in him as Lord and Redeemer, Paul says, is pointless and meaningless and useless man-made religion. And even worse, all this bad news that we've discussed this morning is still true of us. But Jesus is not in the grave. They didn't hide his body. He didn't pass out and then revive himself and move the stone away. He was dead. Roman crucifixion was 100% effective. Nobody ever survived that. In, in all the years in which they practiced that there is never, not just with Jesus, but there is never an instance, a recorded instance of anybody surviving crucifixion. Jesus is not any exception. He was dead. He breathed his last, the word says. And they buried him in a borrowed tomb. And then three days later, he wasn't there. He wasn't in the tomb. He had risen he was alive as he is today. And so our faith in him is not useless. Our faith in him is not pointless and vanity. Instead, our faith in him as Lord and Savior shows that we too now, who have faith in him as Lord and Savior, that we are now alive as well. That we are new. Which brings us to our third reason why the resurrection is good news. And that is, that because the resurrection is true, it means that now we are a new person. We who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, we're brand new. The Apostle Paul talks about how we're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, and how does that happen? 
How do we become in Christ? By placing our faith, 100% of our faith in Christ alone and his finished work on the cross as our only hope. So he says, if anyone is in Christ in that way, he is a new creation. The old things have gone. Behold, new things have come. You see, mankind was created the first time, and we royally messed that up with our sin and our rebellion against God. But then, because of the resurrection, we've placed our faith in Christ. We've been recreated in Christ. We're a new creation now. No longer held captive to sin. No longer in sin's grip. Now set free from both the penalty of sin and the power of sin and to the glory of God one day, even the presence of sin. We're a new creation, but also we've been given new spiritual life. What was once dead has now been made alive. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 10 and 11. He says, but if Christ is in you, See, not only are we in Christ by faith, but Christ is in us by faith. If Christ is in you, he says, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. So we who were formerly dead spiritually, dead in our spirits, now by faith in Christ, the spirit of God is put in us, and now we're spiritually alive. What was once dead is now alive. But not only that, But we're given new hope of our resurrection. Verse 11 of that same passage in Romans 8 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, who is that? If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, that is God, his spirit, if his spirit is in you, and how does that happen again? By placing our faith in Christ alone. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So not only does Jesus' resurrection from the dead mean spiritual life for those who are in Christ, but it also points to the very real hope and the confident assurance that the grave is not our end, that there is a resurrection for us as well, that we will be like Jesus. And as he was bodily risen from the dead, we will as well. It points to our resurrection. And so it is good news that we we are a new person because of faith in this risen Savior. Because now sin doesn't hold us captive anymore. Now we've been set free. We've been released from that prison. Now we can live faithfully and obediently for Christ in this life. Because the spirit which was dead and incapable of that before is now alive because the spirit of God is placed in us. And now we can. Now we can fight against sin and win because the spirit of him who raised Jesus to life is in us. Now we've been recreated created again to do that which we are created to do in the first place, which is to worship our God and bring glory to him. Now, as a new recreated being in Christ Jesus, we can do that. One of my favorite verses is Galatians 2.20, which articulates this. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I identify with Jesus in his death. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up 
for me. So we, we live an exchanged life, a life that is not our own, a new, alive, spiritually alive life that has been caused by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Finally, the resurrection is good news because it means that the mission is now in our hands. The mission is now in our hands. At the end of Matthew chapter 28 that we just read through together, the resurrected Jesus Christ meets up with his disciples on a mountain outside of Galilee. He made an appointment with his disciples. He said, when I rise from the dead, we're going to meet there. That's where we're going to meet. And so he meets them there, and then he gives them what is known as the Great Commission. Sadly, I read this past week, Barna Research Group did a study and found that 51% of churchgoers in America don't even know the term Great Commission, much less can articulate what it is. And then 25%, beyond that 51%, 25% said it rings a bell. But I can't explain it. And that's a travesty. It's an absolute tra travesty because what we have here are our marching orders from our king. The, 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 the directive from our risen Christ, our king, our savior, our redeemer, who is going back to his throne. And before he goes, he gives us his marching orders. And these should do more than just ring a bell for us. And we should do more than just know them. We should live them and obey them. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I am with you always to the very end of the age. It's an obvious point to make, but Jesus could not have given us the Great Commission if he had not risen from the dead. But he did rise from the dead. And now he has commanded us, those who have placed their faith in Christ, he has commanded us to take this gospel message about a crucified and risen Messiah to those who are still under the curse of their own sin, to those for whom the bad news is still very, very, very bad news. Jesus has entrusted this gospel message to the church, and the church is not me, and the church is not the elders and the deacons, and the church is not this building. The church is you. The church is us who've placed our faith in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, he entrusted this gospel message to you, to each one of you. Let us honor what Christ did and his re resurrection from the dead by being faithful to these marching orders until he takes us home. 
or brings his kingdom. Until then, let us be found faithful by going and baptizing and teaching as we make disciples, as we take this gospel message to places where Christ is not worshiped, whether it's next door or across the street or down the hall at work or across the street in our community or on the other side of the globe, wherever Christ is not worshiped or honored, let us take this gospel there. Those are our marching orders, church, and let us not be found unfaithful to them. The resurrection is incredibly good news because it means the bad news, it's been dealt with. It is bad news. It's very, very real, but it's been dealt with if we are in Christ. It also means that our faith, it's not in vanity. It's not useless. It's not pointless. Our faith is very real and a very real risen Savior who is alive today. Resurrection is good news because that means that we are new. We're not the same person anymore. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We've been made alive. We have the Spirit of God in us. And our trajectory is different. Now we've got a home. And we have the confident assurance of our own resurrection. But the question for you this morning is, is the resurrection good news for you? It might be good news corporately, but is it good news? Is it good news for you? Has God saved you? Has he rescued you from this bad news? You say, how, how would I know if, if he has saved me? If you've not placed all your faith in Christ alone as your only hope to be saved from this bad news, then God has not saved you. And this bad news is still bad news for you. Will you trust in Christ today? Will you stop trying to earn his favor? Stop trying to make payments in hopes that it would be enough? Would you stop running away from him if you're running away from him? If he has revealed himself to you this morning, if the risen Christ has said, I am real, I am alive, I died for you, then I beg of you, be reconciled to God through faith in Christ. You say, how do I do that? Well, it's not about walking an aisle. We don't walk an aisle here. It's not about getting dunked, though we dunk here. It's not about raising your hand. It's not about checking a card. What's it about? It's about trusting in Christ alone. How do I do that? You trust in Christ alone. But what do I do? You trust in Christ alone. You simply pray right where you are. God, I, I can't do this alone. I recognize that because of my sin against you, I deserve judgment. Your wrath is still on me. And I'm not mad at you for that. I'm mad at me for that because I'm the one who put myself in this place. And I realize I'm hopeless here. I can't do anything about it. I can't do enough good to outweigh this bad. 
My debt before you is too great, but you have revealed your son Jesus to me. I see that you've made a way through Christ. I see that you sent him to earth and he lived a perfect life. I see that he died in my place and that he rose three days later. And so I place my faith and my trust and my hope in that finished work on the, on the cross, in that risen Savior as my whole only hope to be rescued from what I deserve. And I trust that Jesus' death, death on the cross is full and sufficient payment for my sins. You don't have to say those words. There's nothing magic about words. But if that's the intent of your heart, then cry out the intent of your heart in prayer to God, and he will save you. And this good news will be good news for you. Trust in Christ. Trust in Christ alone. If you have trusted in Christ alone this morning, then brother and sister, let us rejoice in the empty tomb. The grave couldn't hold him. Sin could not defeat him. His resurrection means for you, you have been freed from sin's captivity. The shackles have been torn off. The prison door has been opened. You have been released from the captivity of sin and death. The grave will no longer be your end. This Redeemer who has done so much for you will come again to receive you into his eternal home. He has purchased your freedom on Friday, and this morning we celebrate that the Father has accepted his payment as payment in full for you. What a gracious and mighty Redeemer we have in Jesus. Let us love him. Let us honor him. Let us worship him with our lives and our lips. And let us take this gospel message to the nations until he comes back. Let's pray.